I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. Money is a story, an energy, a source of happiness and well-being, as well as being a source of fear and anxiety. Many of us struggle to see that money is just a means to an end and that the decisions we make and the habits we build around money can change our life and the lives of others. Why are so many of us inhibited when it comes to talking about money? That's what I'd like to explore. Listen as my guests from all walks of life share their stories and how money has impacted their journey. My hope is these shared experiences will help you think differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Money Expresso. Now my guest today is a wonderful woman called Holly Ryan, somebody I'm proud to call my friend. Holly's a woman of great courage and drive, which you'll learn more about today. One of her talents is words. Let me read you the bio she penned, which sets the scene perfectly for today's conversation. Holly has worked her shoulder pads off in media all of her adult life, with spells in radio, advertising, but predominantly she has carved a niche as an agent in TV and film. After a 12-year stretch with a previous employer, she started a family by herself using a donor to fulfil her biggest ambition of all, motherhood. After the birth of her son, she was denied the right to work from home one day a week. So she quit her job with a pocket full of ambition and began her own agency as a brand new mom and businesswoman. I give you Holly Ryan. Holly, it's a really warm welcome to Money Expresso today. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, God, it's an absolute pleasure. We've been trying to do this for a little while, so I'm glad we've managed to make it work. Um, now, Holly, um, the bio tells us some quite intriguing bits and pieces about you, but maybe we could just start off by you just giving me kind of a nutshell of your journey to co-founding the InCrowd agency. And also tell us a little bit about what a talent agent is. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, so I, I actually ended up in the world of media partly because I wanted a job whereby I could wear jeans into work and, <laughs> and have the luxury of being entirely myself, which is uh, a very hyperactive, uh, <laughs> busy-minded, uh, talkative human being. So, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's the early phase of it. Um, in terms of what I do now, day to day, I, in essence, am a mother hen, a agony aunt, a, a big brother, um, a kind of pimp, I suppose. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm essentially here to hold the hand of all of our talent through the sometimes murky world of film and TV. And just, just to sort of be their, their cheerleader and to ensure that they're being looked after in the projects which they're folded into. You know, and to somebody like me, um, TV and film always sounds incredibly glamorous. Um, but, but, I, but I get what you're saying. I, I'm sure it's also quite a cutthroat industry. Is that, is that true? Um, it, it's very competitive because mm. unfortunately, still, you know, people still do believe it is incredibly glamorous and it is all about award ceremonies and rap parties and uh, champagne, cocaine and lots of glitter. And <laughs> the reality is, is that it's just a bunch of people who often are creative, but it's also it does attract uh, some egomaniacs as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
who lack the talent but have all the ego. So it's it is it is cutthroat, and it and you know depressingly for me, since launching my uh, business in crowd agency, it has it has underlined how horrifically sexist the industry can still be. Really, God, that's depressing, isn't it? But not surprising, possibly. It's well, I think it's it's only surprising that we believe we're in a really progressive time, and you would think that the media would be one of the most progressive industries, but. Mm. Uh, alas, my sort of daily arm wrestles against blatant sexism uh, do exist, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. Well, and you're right. I, I often think about the media and particularly the, the print media, you know, and um, some of the newspaper articles that, that, you know, we all read. You just think, really, can those journalists really still have those backward views? But I'm guessing that's an entirely different conversation. But I've mm. got to ha- ask you, Holly, um, is, is your job a little bit like Call My Agent or is that a bit glamorised? Do you know what? It's actually the first time I've seen a, a reasonably close depiction of what it actually involves being an agent in terms of the, the level of uh, mayhem <laughs> that it can yeah. sometimes involve. And yeah. it, it, you are constantly plugged in. Um, mm. it's, it's an impossible role to switch off in a way. And, and to be honest... The day that I switch the role off is the day that I should probably retire because I do genuinely care about uh, the talent that I represent and the industry that I work in um, enough that I'm prepared to basically work my socks off day and night yeah. for it. Um, because, you know, the, I think with any job, the day you stop caring is the day you shouldn't be doing anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, what is it that um, makes a good talent agent, would you say? Empathy, I think, is top of the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, confidence, uh, experience and understanding of the arena that you're sat within. And I think you have to intrinsically own uh, a, a layer of, I don't know what is it. I would say it's it's. You ha- I mean, you have to you have to essentially host a party full time. I mean, you're essentially <laughs> you're you know we, you have two masters. You have the clients who come to you with the work, and you have the talent who you're representing. And yeah. you, so you have two masters, and you have to mm. ensure that you're listening inside and out to both parties to ensure that nothing's getting lost in translation. And yeah. I mean, with our agency, because we represent skill sets who we sometimes pair together, understanding the personalities of our talent is even more important because we recognise that, you know, whilst on paper two people might look perfect together, you have to also consider the human being behind that CV and whether they're actually going to, you know, they're going to gel on a sort of social level because, you know, they're working together 10 hours a day and it's highly stressful and the list goes on. Yeah. And it's, is it mainly editors and producers that you work with? Am I, am I right in that? Or is it actors as well? It's not actors, it's directors, producers and editors um, okay. that we, we largely bring in for a cuddle. Mm. Mm. Fascinating. And um, have you, um, is there any particular uh, TV programme or series that you've, you've worked on that we would, we would recognise? Oh God! Um, pretty much, pretty much any any prime time 
uh, punchy, hard-hitting, harrowing <laughs> documentary <laughs> that's ever aired is probably yeah. covered by one of our directors or one of our editors. Um, mm. So yeah, it's it's you know it's generally nine pm. BBC, Channel 4, Netflix, yes. Skydocs. Um, yeah. And we also have a alive and kicking comedy vein of us as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, for example, the the chap that cut together uh, The Office and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, another chap who works on Ghosts and he's doing a HBO series. So, yeah, so, yeah we, um, we definitely cover a lot of the stuff that airs on our on our small and large tv screens yeah yeah it's fascinating um and i could talk to you about it for ages and i'm sure we'll come back and talk a little bit more about business and and how that's evolved for you um but before we do that holly what i'd like to do if i may um is just take you back in a time machine to growing up if i may and this is this is a money podcast but i don't like to talk about money in a kind of traditional sense, like, you know, there's going to be no best buys or get your ices before the end of the tax year kind of comments here. But um, what I am always fascinated with is how money was for you or for any of my guests when they were growing up and what you learned from your family about money. Could you tell us a bit about that? Well, as you've asked so nicely, it'd be rude not to. Um, I can indeed. I, I mean, my... Yeah, the, the, the DNA that I'm formulated from is quite interesting in that regard because my mum was uh, posh spice, I suppose, and that she, she grew up in a very well-to-do part of London, um, a.k.a. Roehampton. Mm-hmm. And my dad was common as muck, really, and grew up in a prefab. Um, but the common theme they had is they were both bloody beautiful and uh, both had very noisy brains and yeah and that those yeah. two worlds collided so in some senses they're a bit like Lady in the Tramp I suppose <laughs> um and yeah so my my mum and my dad pulled together all the money that they had when they met and fell deeply in love in London and bought a decaying haunted mansion in <laughs> in a very rural part of North Devon yeah. And yeah, and then my mum left home when I was about four years old, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, on the back of my dad having had a nervous breakdown. And yeah, and yeah I mean, it, sound, it sounds more dramatic than it felt at, at the time because I was too young to mm. know what drama really was. But um, yeah, so it's a long-winded tale, which is, which essentially is... Um, about how, you know, coming from one uh, social demographic to another and putting yeah. those, those piggy banks together and yeah. building this or buying this beautiful house. And, um, yeah, I mean, my dad started his own business and I think that was partly why the breakdown happened and a combination of trying to make the family home run and him running a business. And, yeah, so my... Mum left the family home and I grew up with my dad in in a beautiful but reasonably scary house. That's, yeah. a, that's a very long-winded version of... Um, yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's... Well, you know, thank you for sharing that because, um, you know, it, it's an interesting comment that you make because, as you as you say, when you're a kid, it's just life, isn't it? I, I guess you, you don't know any different. And so 
was it a drama wasn't it a drama I, I, I guess sometimes it's with re- reflection that you can you can realize that but that that's that's I can I can see the the challenges um, and the polarity actually for a, a young child within that situation and um, and so with with um, you know growing up with your father was 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 as he started to build his business was was how was money in the house um, I mean, I was. I felt I never had any doubt in my dad about anything really, mm. because he was. He had such a ferocious and brilliant brain that mm. I never felt that we were lost at sea with him, because he was always so confident within himself and his abilities. Because yeah. after my mum left home, and this, you know, I was too young to comprehend what he had on his plate in terms of bringing up a six-year-old and a four-year-old on his own yeah. and how to make that happen um but he you know he fought for custody for us so he obviously had enough confidence that he could pull off the mammoth task and he set up another business um a holiday letting agency and it did very well and you know we were gifted with uh a quite luxurious existence in the sense of you know we had we were fortunate and lucky enough to have brilliant holidays once a year and uh, he he was very good at spoiling me, but not to the extent that I became a brat. And he uh, encouraged me to, you know, have a piggy bank and, you know, the values in working uh, mm. and earning money. And, you know, for example, when I was at school, I actually, I started a candle making business um, just because I wanted a, a challenge. And I remember going to one of the headmasters and asking if I could borrow the, the science labs so that I could start making candles out of wax using <laughs> yogurt pots and <laughs> some wonky wick. Um, and then that grew actually and I ended up um, recruiting school friends and then I ended up negotiating a deal with a local beeswax farm to sort of make candles. And, um, and I also uh, really relished pencil drawing so I ended up uh, having a sideline of selling pencil drawn portraits to other parents of school friends and stuff so um, yeah so so you were kind of an entrepreneur at a very young age really even if that word wasn't one that we probably used to use uh, when you were when you were growing up but what drew drew you to candles I don't know what, I've always been a bit obsessed with candles um, and candlelight, probably um, because it's it's more flattering when you have <laughs> such a strong nose like mine. But um, it's, um, I just, I like the, I like anything that's mildly romantic. And yeah. um, I think that's why I'm drawn to sort of churches and stuff. I think there's something very enchanting about it all. And it seemed like an easy uh, way to make something can see the physical mm. results very quickly yeah um, but yeah I, I mean I wouldn't describe myself as uh, an early entrepreneur I think it was more that I just I really relished uh, any opportunity to work as a team and I think that's partly mm. what started and also just as I say my dad always saying how much satisfaction you can have out of watching pocket money grow or and yeah, yeah seeing something yeah. build built from scratch rather yeah absolutely and and was it was the candle making business in the in the pencil drawing business were 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 they profitable did you make money from it yeah I mean I we um my friends and I uh 
our company, I think it started off as being called Eternal Flame, um, <laughs> which is obviously a reference point. It was to the song now? Yeah, I think there might have been. <laughs> might it be. might have been. Um, and then I think we later changed it to Waxworks. But I remember us, you know, we would sell them at craft fairs and stuff and school fates. And I think I think we each walked away with, I think it was something like £57, but in those days yeah. that, you know, when you're at school, it feels Fortune. like a lot of money. I think I bought yeah. skateboard wheels with it, which tells you everything you need to know about me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, brilliant. I loved it. Um, yeah. And it was just very satisfying seeing, you know, something physically made and then see, reaping the benefits and the interaction between myself and customers, essentially. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and do, do you think, had, had, it, had you always had an ambition to have your own business or was that something you were rather bumped into um, after having your first child? I don't know whether I ever, I think it's, I think it's, it, it's taken me quite a number of years to take myself seriously. And I've always felt far too uh, laid back and jovial and um, subservient to even begin to uh, take myself seriously as a boss. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when I became a mum, the lioness in me came to the surface mm-hmm. and I recognised that I needed to get out of my own way. And it wasn't about me anymore, it was about providing the lifestyle that my kids deserved and also I wanted I suppose in a way to peacock to both my parents from afar um, now that they're no longer here and I think it's you know I I definitely felt a cheerleader of sorts within me and whether that was you know coming from uh, you know my my dad's teachings from afar I don't know but I definitely had there was a driving force and you know, it's largely born out of being a mum, but it was also born out of having had a fantastic role model in the form of my dad. Yeah. It, yeah, it's really interesting. I love that idea of your lioness come in to the thaw when you had when you had your son. Can, can you just, um, I'd like to talk about that a little bit more, but what I'd also like to talk a little bit more about is in your bio, you tell us that you, your greatest ambition was to be a mother and so you took that decision to have a child using a donor as a single woman and that sounds like a big life decision can can you tell me a bit about how you came to make that decision and kind of what came next yes certainly um I always deep in my bones I knew that I wanted to become a mum even in my uh hedonistic 20s when I was all about clubbing and kissing girls I still knew that I wanted to take on the chapter of parenthood so that was always something that was growling uh, Mm. loudly it was never a backing track it was always um, close to the surface and when Mrs. Wright had failed to turn up um, in time for my body clock. And, you know, I'd read the statistics in terms of your fertility falling off a bit of a clunky cliff um, in your mid-30s. I just thought, right, Holly Ryan, get a bloody move on. You're going to have to Mm. get this party started on your own. And, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, it's kind of odd because despite being 
uh, a raging uh, feminist and having come out when I was 20, I, I have always been someone that's very, what's the word? I'm, I'm, I'm actually really into conventions. I'm really into marriage. Mm-hmm. I'm really into mm-hmm. traditions. And, you know, I, I've, I struggled to take myself seriously in terms of, you know, could I, could I be a parent and could I be enough of one person to accommodate what two kids might need? And so, yeah. so yeah, I had to, I had to really think bloody hell, how, you know, practically, how is this going to work with me having one pair of hands and, you know, having that financial responsibility bearing down on just my shoulders can I mm. swallow that and can I genuinely wrestle with this and make make all that okay for myself and and obviously for them um the people that I'm gonna you know adore and oscillate around so yeah so that's a long-winded answer but no not but yeah, totally. it's it... um yeah it's something that I had to take a lot of breaths for and truly you know it's not something you you walk into flippantly you can't there's no bigger job that you will undertake than becoming a mum and I think becoming a mum um as 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 a single woman as a gay woman you know many heterosexual couples I know it isn't always easy to get pregnant but the if if fortune is on your side then the process is rather more straightforward so to to take those very active decisions about motherhood and then see them through is you know it that feels massive to me um and 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 so how did that how did that journey play out because I'm I'm pretty sure something like that isn't going to be easy or straightforward it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster I'm guessing yeah, it was just like a horrible game of hokey cokey. I mean, mm. it's um, in a way the the pandemic is quite a good way of describing what it, you know it's like going in and out of lockdown because the lockdowns would essentially be the times when you're grieving for the times you haven't got pregnant, and it was it was very elaborate, expensive, emotional, uh, highly charged. Um, a brilliant journey and yeah. it to be honest I think I think it was uh, an essential way of understanding what comes when you become a mum because the trials and tribulation sorry the trials and tribulations of trying to get pregnant uh, mm. those are the kind of trials and tribulations that you experience on a daily basis as a mum yeah. so it was it was good it was a good practice run in a way. Good grounding. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, the finances in itself, it, it's, you know, what I was paying for an attempt each time in the clinic. And I, you know, I had six attempts for each of my kids. Crikey. Um, yeah. I mean, my piggy bank was a pile of porcelain dust by, yeah. <laughs> by the yeah, end I of that. Imagine. But it does, it does set you up for the reality of how much money you are going to have to cough up. Mm. Months upon months for nursery fees, you know, uh, you know, for example, Solomon, Johan's child mind was going to be picking him up at three ten today and all of those things add up the kids clubs, the, the school trips, um, you know, the, the new Nike trainers that he has to have, (laughs) you know, Silker demanding, um, 
another My Little Pony or the rest of it. So it's um, it, yeah. it's a very, very expensive hobby, parenthood. I'm sure. And how old are Johan and Silky now? Uh, Johan is seven and Silka is three. Oh, gorgeous. I always, I always um, have to think because it feels like each year goes past. So. Yeah, flying by. Yeah. Flying by. And, and in terms of the... Um, th- that. So you had Johan, uh, you were coming towards the end of maternity leave. I'm making this up because I don't know. Mm. Um, And you were about to go back to work and all of a sudden there was no flexibility. How how did that play out? Oh, God, it's hard to finish this sentence without wanting to burn my bra. But um, essentially, it it was before even I had Johan, the moment I revealed to my boss that I was pregnant it was mm. it was almost an immediate retreat from from their side I felt that suddenly uh, my opinions weren't listened to as hard I was uh, excluded from meetings that you know I sh- was heavily involved with before and I had uh, uncomfortable verbal dialogue about fighting for more than statutory maternity pay and you know I'd been there for 12 years and I I had really pummeled every everything of myself into that role so it felt like a a, an immediate uh, betrayal in a way Mm. um and and yeah I mean I, I there was there was no question on on his side that I was going to be returning five days a week and I and I didn't honestly know what my my legal rights were mm. um but I I did know after Johan gloriously strutted into my life that I I did want to have at least you know the luxury of one day a working week with him at home so that I could mm. stare at him for a little longer or push him on the swings for half an hour, whatever. And I, yeah, so I wrote an email and said, listen, I've become a mum and I'm, I couldn't be any more uh, contented, but I I would ask that I come into the office four days a week and work from home one day a week just to be a bit more present as a, as a mum. And Mm. yeah, I've essentially refused that, that option. Um, so, <laughs> so that was that. So, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't something like, "How do you feel about that?" It was like, "No, we can't. We can't allow for that." Yeah. So, um, yeah. God. So you. So you were kind of between a bit of a rock and a hard place because I guess there might have been some people that would have just thought, "Okay, well, I'm just going to have to put up with it." But you took what's a what feels to me like a pretty bold decision to think, you know, no, that doesn't work for me, and I'm, I, I, I. I'm going to therefore take a uh, possibly a much more risky option. I don't know whether it would have seemed like that to you at the time and set up my own agency. What was the thought process there? To be honest, there wasn't even a thought process. It, it, that's, um, that's flattering me in a way. It was just, it was like a feeling in my stomach of this doesn't feel fair and mm. um, how do I fix this and make this okay for myself and Johan and yeah it was and also to be honest I I, could, I wasn't aware of how 
disgusting a move that was until I stepped mm. further away from it. But at the time, I was so busy, you know, breastfeeding, being high as a kite um, mm. as a new parent and, you know, mildly out of my depth and scared like every other mum. Mm. That I just thought, right, how am I quickly going to remedy this? And it was literally one of those moments whereby <laughs> angels must have been singing somewhere. My biggest uh, named client, uh, well, the, the I would say the agency's biggest named client, gave me a call socially and just to check in to say, you know, how's how's it going? How how have you been? And I yeah, I remember the conversation so vividly. I said. Yeah, I'm just, am I being Mariah Carey here? But I've just been told I can't work from home one day a week. Um, and I have to go into the office five days a week. And it's the other side of London. And my boss knows that I have no partner. And both my parents have died horrifically of cancer. And I have no resources around me. Uh, and he said, have you just heard what you've just said? Yes, that isn't okay. But mm. I've got an idea I've got an idea. Can you give me 24 hours? And oh. yeah, he phoned me back the next day and said, right, uh, my wife uh, thinks we should take him to court. Um, but I've got a better idea. Um, do you remember when I spoke to you a couple of years ago and asked you if you were happy? And I vaguely remembered. And he said, well, I feel that someone like you should be looking after and cuddling the production talent and it's not been done yet and I feel that they could do with someone like you in their corner so yeah. let me financially back you to do what I think you do best and you can call it what you like what you like it's your baby um but I'm I'm here to sort of put the money on the table and and cheerlead you to, to make it happen wow god what perfect timing it was it was one of yeah. those <laughs> Wow, that's so and brilliant that you know, for to, for him to come along at that time with that offer, and and obviously saw that raw talent in you that this was something that you were going to be able to pull off. Um, gosh, that's that's a real accolade to you and your and your talents, and and so the In Crowd Agency was born. Yeah, In Crowd Agency. It was funny. I went through a couple of names, uh, like most people do, and then. Uh, I think Tonic was one name I came up with, which I really liked the sound of, but mm. it just it was a bit too close to other company names. And and then I liked the idea of in crowd that it, it's it's a unique bundle of people um, in a circle. And yeah, I mean we're sort of known for being very fussy, and yeah, our criteria is essentially you're talented, uh, you're not showy about it, and you're someone that I want to go and have three pints in a pub with. Yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> um, what are your ambitions for the in-crowd agency, or, or is that... Yeah, well, let me, let me not answer that question. Uh, yeah, it, well, I, I, I have lots that I want to do with in-crowd agency, but at the moment, I think... You know, we, yes, we are in a much more positive place in, in terms of the pandemic, but I feel that, you know, we've, human beings have had such a rotten time of it that I just mm. want to ensure that everyone we're looking after at the moment is being hugged hard enough because yeah. I just know so many people that are still a bit black and blue, uh, mm. you know, for, for 
all the reasons that every, you know that everyone else is and I just feel like I just want to make sure that I'm doing my job fully and properly for the people that we have thus far yeah. and then when I feel that you know I have enough staff that everyone's happy then we look to to grow from there but I, I do have yeah I've, look, I've got lots of other tricks up my sleeve but for now I just want to ensure that the people that we have um nestled in are getting the service that they deserve mm. and um and that I'm not too stretched I mean you know I'm already working at, at least a 50 60 hour a week mm. every week so yeah, yeah. That's pretty full on, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not um, insignificant, but it's mm. um, yeah, it's it's gifting myself and my kids with this lovely life that we have by the sea in Brighton. So, yeah, I... which kind of leads me to a question that um, that I I think is fascinating in terms of what does real success look like to you? It's I, I mean I, all of my biggest ambitions are emotional ones so it, it, it's definitely not me driving a Porsche down a country road in somewhere that is very middle class it's it's more probably me on holiday with my kids mm -hmm. uh laughing at our own jokes probably and <laughs> and, and yeah I think just just I think success is essentially doing something that you really bloody love doing, which I still do. I, I literally, I love coming into the office. I, every Monday morning, I'm so happy to be here and I, I feel so lucky that I can say that. Um, mm. Yeah. That's brilliant. No, and that's, a, that's you know, good for you for finding the thing that, that kind of lights your fire. Um, so many people drag through life I think doing jobs that that don't do that. So um, yeah, it's really nice to hear that. And and I get I get that thing about success being more emotionally driven. I've recently been very fascinated by the subject of well being. The, the word's been rather hijacked, but particularly by financial companies. But the word well being is is very far reaching. And I think there's a lot of research around the fact that it's around about experiences and spent you know the quality of relationships, not the quantity and um and you know kind of money obviously comes into well-being but uh yeah i think it's a it's a fascinating point and yeah it, material possessions are fun to have maybe in the moment but they don't last awfully long i don't think but um um fleeting <laughs> pardon no they're fleeting they're um, fleeting yeah, yeah yeah indeed indeed so we kind of are coming towards the end of the podcast now Holly and um I kind of the thing that always kind of really um intrigues me is around influences um who's been your greatest in influence or continues to be oh god my does it have to be one person or can it be <laughs> no a go, go for it mm. um well certainly my dad um mm. because he was he was a legend in, in many respects. He was his sort of modus operandi in terms of life generally and what you give to it, what you get back out, uh, your expectations, um, how, how short a life we have and how to do it every day probably. Mm -hmm. um, it's really stuck with me. And 
so he's definitely up there. And obviously he, you know, like me, he ran his own business and brought up two kids by himself. Oh. And in those days, you know, it was seriously rare that a dad would be present to the degree that he was and, mm. you know, in charge of everything. So, yeah. so certainly him. Um, I mean, obviously I have to give a shout out to my business partner, Tom, as well, because he threw me a rubber dinghy when I, you know, desperately needed mm. it. And to be honest, I think just having someone who believes in you is sometimes all that you need and someone to say, look, I see something in you that, you know, is glistening, glistening enough that you can go on to become, you know, a lighthouse for others and you can, you can do this. And yeah. it's having that endorsement from someone who you respect can really champion in you. Um, and I think, you know, many people, I mean, you, you're, you know, you're someone who I massively respect. And I, you know, I look at my circle of friends and there's, there's so many incredible men and women in my life who are the type who grab uh, the bull by the horns and shake it about a bit. And, you know, it's about being present, challenging yourself and, you know, not being a bell end along the way, <laughs> along the way. <laughs> and just, you know, just being forward facing and positive and yeah. Just, kind of, yeah. Well, thank thank you, Holly. That's that's very lovely of you. Very lovely of you to say. Um, but I know um, some of the people in your circle, and you do have some fantastic friends. I can vouch for that. Um, now, this is a slightly frivolous question, but I love to ask it. Um, may I ask what has been your best buy in the last twelve months or so that that cost maybe less than thirty pound, and it can be something for pleasure or utility. But I, it always intrigues me this question. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not one to splash the cash. <laughs> I can't even say cash without slurring, which tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I'm a second-hand rose type. I, I really mm. find it hard to justify buying things new because often I find that vintage things are better made, they last longer, they're visually prettier um, and more practical. Mm. So I... I would have to say under 30 pounds. So, yeah, so recently I had a little holiday with the kids in a beautiful little cottage in a sheep farm in Devon. Mm. And it was pouring with rain and I ran into uh, a charity shop and there was a an old, beautiful black and white old print in this vintage black and gold frame. Um, a1 size massive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it just it's it says Mater Dolorosa and it's basically it was a Virgin Mary crying and it's translated as sorrow sorrowful mother and I don't know why it just really caught my eye and that was 20 quid which, wow. I, which I thought was a bloody bargain absolutely and in that same shop there was also a a vintage uh, Connect Four <laughs> game, <laughs> which and my son is uh, absolute whiz at Connect Four. I mean, literally, there's no one that he can't beat <laughs> over and over again. So, yeah, so they, those came to I think twenty five pounds. Yeah. So, so they, that, that's Perfect. those are my star buys. I love that. Brilliant, brilliant. And yeah, the idea of buying vintage is such a such a great idea, isn't it? You know, there's so much stuff in this world. It um, to be able to do that, I think, is uh, 
is, is something that uh, we should all think more about. And finally, Holly, um, I'd like to leave our listeners maybe with a money pearl of wisdom. And I just wonder what kind of money lesson that you've learned along the way that that is worthy of um, of, of repetition or uh, giving to other people to consider? Um, well, me sharing anything, <laughs> I don't know whether um, people want my pearls of wisdom, but I would say that I, I've always looked at money as being almost like monopoly money to a degree. And I think so much of it is how it's about confidence, it's about how you tackle it. And I've always visually looked at it as being like it's an orchestral pit, if you like, money. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you are your own conductor with it. So, and I always think, you know, sometimes I need a little bit of money from here, a little bit you know, or I need to shave something off there. And I'm always like conducting mm. the, the chorus of the money that I have in my bank account. And, and, I, and I just look at it like that. I'm just a very visual person and that's how I, I perceive it. But it's, you know, you're on an you're on a elevated plane with it and you're standing above it and you are totally in control. And it's not something to be intimidated by. You boss money, not the other way around. Perfect. That's, that's my pearl of wisdom. I love that. And, and yes, and that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, it's there to be used. You're in control. Don't let the money control you. Holly, it's been a real pleasure chatting and, and thank you. You've shared so much with us and been so open. Um, it's been a fabulous conversation and I wish you all the best with the InCrowd agency. I can't wait to see how it grows and also enjoy your time with Johanna and Silke. Thank you so thank, much. Thank you, Holly. Bye for now. Thanks, Ruth. Bye-bye. Bye. Crikey, just one question from me. How on earth does Holly pack so much into her life? What a story. I love her definition of real success being emotional, not material. Her sense of fortune of finding the thing that she bloody loves doing and just doing it. And the power that comes from having someone believe in you and who sees something that you cannot see for yourself. Super inspiring stuff. Now, before you go, just a quick tease about my next guest, Bobby White. Bobby is a London-based fine jeweller to the stars, which include Beyonce, Jay-Z and The Prodigy. You're going to love Bobby's story of creativity, mastery and taking his chances. Until then, look after yourself and speak soon. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you did, I'd really appreciate if you could take a couple of minutes to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcast platform to subscribe, rate and review Money Expresso. This helps more people find the podcast so we can get more people thinking differently about their money and life. If you've got any thoughts, comments or questions on any of the matters discussed or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Now, of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is merely to share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you.